Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh, unlucky for some... But not for you. Welcome to episode 13 of the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Yes, it's a 13 joke. We're at episode 13. Don't think it was really a joke though, was it? It was more of just a um, a statement, I guess. You would not believe the amount of times I've restarted this intro. I get about two minutes in and I'm just like, what the hell am I talking about? I'm rambling balls. Um, so I've started a few times. But anyway, welcome to a new uh, episode of the Dangerous Dinners podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tom Green. Episode 13 coming at you. And um, for all fans of podcast stats, we are up month on month. Yes! Come on! Get in there! Um, April was a, was a great... Hey, April was a great month for us, guys. We were up 30% month on month, baby. Um... I imagine that's what it's going to sound like when we have the Dangerous Dinners AGM and all the shareholders there. What's the growth? We're up 30%. Buy low, sell high. That's how stocks and shares work, guys. Anyway, uh, welcome to a new episode. And today's episode is a special one because we are joined by uh, Leon McKenzie. Uh, and this isn't any episode of the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Oh, no. This week, we are doing a Mental Health Awareness Week special because the uh, the second week of May is Mental Health Awareness Week. So I wanted to do something to support that. Uh, I've been involved with um, the charity Calm for a while, Campaign Against Living Miserably, supporting mental health in men um, across the UK and the world. Actually, it's the biggest killer for blokes suicide which is really really sad so we're gonna do something a little bit different this week we are joined by leon mckenzie what do we know about leon mckenzie um he is from croydon he is a professional boxer he is a professional footballer having scored goals in all the football leagues in the uk he's played for crystal palace he's played for norwich he was in the premier league um he's a very very famous footballer but he has had his dark days and he has had his battles with mental health his whole life um, really, and we explore that throughout the podcast. So this episode does come with a little bit of a warning because there are topics in this episode which some listeners may find distressing. However, I think these conversations are really important to have. So uh, in support of Mental Health Awareness Week and bringing the conversation of depression and anxiety and male suicide to the forefront, I'd like to introduce to the podcast Leon McKenzie. <laughs> The Dangerous Dinners Podcast with your host, Tom Green. One celebrity guest, one spin of the roulette wheel, and a tour of the best and worst takeaways, which are delivering to us tonight. What will it land on? We let fate decide. Up for grabs today, we have the poorly reviewed Kansas Fried Chicken, everybody's favorite, Lahore Karahi. If it all goes wrong, Pizza Palace. But before we do that, it's time to meet our celebrity guest. They're famous, they're funny, and they just arrived downstairs. It's time to bring them up. Please welcome. It's Leon McKenzie. <laughs> Hello, how you doing? I'm not bad, man. How are you? I'm okay. I'm just, uh, yeah, battling on. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast, Leon. That's all right. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Sometimes you have to put yourself forward and, and support others, don't you? So um, I thought being that you used to be my neighbour, that's hey. all the least I could do. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we should be open and honest at this point to say that we do know each other a little bit because 
I was I was your neighbour when I lived in East London. That's correct. You was my neighbour for a very short while. You got eye contact with me and you moved up shortly after. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that at all. Um, yeah. When I first moved to London, I moved to, I won't give exactly, but I, I, I moved to East London and you were one of the first people I ever met. And I think my favourite story about us knowing each other is you drove me to the hospital. Oh, Yes. Your hand. My hand. You was pouring with blood. You knocked at my door and I thought you'd been in a fight or something. But um, obviously you had an accident. Yeah, I had to uh, drive you to the hospital. I cut my finger basically off while I was doing some washing up and there was blood everywhere. And I called my mum and my mum said, oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry. You just go to work. And I said, I don't know, mum. I think I need to speak to Leon. He's a boxer. He'll know about hand injuries. And I went I went downstairs and I knocked on your door. And I remember, <laughs> I remember your face going bloody hell yeah you probably need to go to the doctors for this yeah because it was it was quite a bad wound so um how many stitches do you have um i can count them on my finger one two three four five six seven eight nine so yeah so i was right then yeah good good observation oh mate you were more than right for this injury i i I was taken into surgery i had to have physiotherapy to get my finger to move all over again i basically cut through my finger completely through the tendons through the muscle with a cut um plate wow yeah glad uh saved your finger you did leon you did and also (laughs) before we start do you remember i don't know if you remember this i i got um i got a breakfast radio show when i lived near you and i remember some advice you gave me in the corridor of our shared building do you remember the advice Uh, i boxed for a little while i was a professional boxer for a little while so you have to excuse me and some things i don't remember (laughs) so please bring me up to speed because sometimes uh, I forget. So you sat me down, Leon, and you said, Tom, don't spend all the money and don't get married. Is that what I said to you? <laughs> <laughs> That's bold. And I've, really? I've done neither. I, uh, listen, these moments stick with me and I've done neither. I took your advice on. Yeah, I've, uh, let's just say I've walked many paths. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we begin, Leon, do you want me to hear the introduction I've written for you? Every guest we have on, I write them an intro. Oh, we intrigued to hear it, yeah. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Uh, we've had so many guests on this show in our time, but today is quite special. He is a Premier League goal-scoring legend, a man that has held down roles at West Ham, Crystal Palace, Norwich and Fulham. Not only that, he made the slide from Premier League football to beating people up as a professional boxer look easy. He's a mental health advocate and has got more stories than I've had hot dinners. It's Leon McKenzie. It's absolutely amazing. Although I never ever played for West Ham. Oh, <laughs> what? So I don't know who's giving you that information. Oh, I've, that's... I've, I've played I've played against West Ham a few times, and I would actually I would like to say I don't really see myself as a Premiership legend. I played Premiership football, but I'm not a Premiership legend. I I, I guess I am just me. <laughs> that that had the opportunity to play professional football. Uh, I played in all English leagues, scored in every league. And yes, what makes me a little bit more special is at a late age, after my football career, I went into boxing. So yeah, excluding the, the I'd say the legend bit and <laughs> the West Ham bit, I would, I would think that's brilliant. Listen, I will accept that you never played for West Ham, but I won't accept that you're not a Premier League legend. I read that at one point for goal scored, it was you and Michael Owen. Is that right? I Well, Michael Owen was, um, me, and, me and Michael Owen, were, we played it against each other in the Liverpool uh, well, he was playing Liverpool. It was FA Cup. It was for the FA Cup youth. So um, we we met then back way 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 back when I was younger. <laughs> um, so that's where we first. But we was both prolific at youth level level. Mm. And as I made my professional debut at 17 years old, he went on to become pretty special himself. So. Yeah, that's how we met. Now, before we get going into the podcast, it is called Dangerous Dinners for a reason. Leon, behind me, there is a giant roulette wheel of the best and worst takeaways in our, well, where I used to live, but your local area. Okay. And because I used to work on the evening show on the radio, I know a hell of a lot of these takeaways and you are in for the ride of your life tonight. I can't wait to find out what it is. (laughs) What's your takeaway heaven and takeaway hell, by the way? What would be good from this and what would be bad? Well, I hope it's vegan. If it's not vegan, it's not going to work. 
Oh, re- oh so you're, you're, you're vegan? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to buy that. I would have bought that. No, do you know what? I am... Uh... My, my girlfriend at the moment is is very kind of in touch with all food and and I, I do eat the wrong food to be honest a lot of the times but I, I'm not a vegan I'm probably pushing towards more vegetarian I'm, I'm trying to lay off meat a little bit if I'm honest um, so I'm trying to go down more sort of towards the fish and then we'll see where that sort of goes but I have meat in special occasions I reckon okay this could be a special occasion if it's anything that I think it's going to be I'll spin the wheel behind me and Leon will find out what you're having for dinner tonight three two one <laughs> I'm not joking you. Come on. It's a restaurant that only does vegan food. That's not even a lie. Oh, what? <laughs> wow. Well, I love you know it. What? Great. Amazing. Oh, wow. Even better. Even better. Um, let me it's have a look. It's better than kebab, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's better for your, probably your waistband, I would say. Mm. I'm going to get you a vegan burger. Right. And I'm going to get you some chips and I'm going to get you a... Yeah, a vegan burger and chips. That sounds quite good, man. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm, I'm pushing towards a vegan, but yeah, hopefully it tastes amazing. Yeah, let me send that out to you. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Right then, I've got probably an hour to get to know you, Leon, and there's a lot of questions I want to ask, and I'm going to start here. Because <laughs> surely sport was always going to be your path. Your dad was a British boxer, Clinton McKenzie, and your uncle was three times world boxing champion, Duke McKenzie. Is that right? That's correct. My dad was a former British European champion, and my uncle Duke was a former three-time world champion. So, yeah. How was sport not always going to be the thing? Was it always quite obvious you were going to end up where you ended up? Not necessarily, but I just think it's been in my DNA to the point of, I guess, as we grow into our own lives, we have to make the choices and decisions for what's for us. So I think being around boxing at a young age, um, I was always around it from sort of age seven, eight. I was watching my dad go through that professional element of, of training. I saw my uncle go through the same so I saw what it was to be an athlete. I visualised that just from what I could see around me. You would say I should have really gone down the boxing route first. I should have gone into boxing first. But uh, football sort of took off took off for me in the end. And then I ended up making a decision to go and play professional football. But I think to answer your question, I guess for me, with the personality I was and what I was around, yeah, I think it was always going to be Done. But then I, I, I no, I'm not being honest because I was, I went to drama school before football. Um, I even went to like, I was in sort of some theatres and I was like in things like The King and I, Carousel, like all these things before I even became an athlete. So maybe if I wouldn't have been an athlete, it would have gone down more towards like maybe acting or singing or something. What did your dad think about that as a boxing father i've got an idea of what his vibe would be like and his son going into a singing dancing career is was was he for that um he would have been absolutely buzzing oh that's nice like, yeah no he's not um anything that i was happy doing um he's, he's always been and my mum they've always been very encouraging in respect of what they've been as parents and just to go and do it but i've always kind of done what i was going to do so what was growing up in the Mackenzie house like? Can you describe your childhood to me? Was it London, where you came from? Yeah, I'm from South London originally, so I was born in Croydon, uh, Mayday Hospital, and we moved all over South East, really. I spent a lot of time in Fulton Heath. That's my first memory of my house, Headcorn Road. Isn't it funny how you always remember the road and the number? Seven, number 73, Headcorn Road. Yeah, man. <laughs> that was my first house. Um, I lived there with my sister, Rebecca. Um, my mum and dad were, were good. I, the, the early part of my childhood was I had some really happy moments, but um, I also faced a lot of uh, trauma um, and things that happened in my childhood. Um, you know, obviously, like a, a big percentage of of parents that split up. So I saw some uh, things I shouldn't have seen at a very young age. See my mum and dad splitting up. 
going through the divorce and yeah. and all these things that, that you know some have to go through, including myself, as I became an adult myself. And I was we was living in a pub for um, a good few years. So again, when I was best part of eight, nine, ten, we was living in a pub. Um, you'd be a lot of characters coming in and coming in and out of that pub, and we yeah. had lodgers and different things, loads of things going on. But it's an adult world, isn't it? It's a, it's not a really a world for kids as such to really be sort of growing up in. But yeah, I had some um, interesting situations happen. Obviously, I was I was molested by an older woman. Um, that was quite strange for me. Um, in, in the respect of what, what it brought. But as I got older, I actually understood and as I had my own education around everything, um, when I look back, it was quite, oh, you know, it's, I didn't really look at it in, in, to be what that was. I didn't really look at it as to, I was like, oh, whatever, like, great, it's a woman, you know, like, it's, it's kind of great in the respect of if you're a young man or whatever. But then as you get older and you have your own children, you know, and I've got kids of, of, of like coming up eight, yeah. 10, 12. And now my mind starts to really like think about things properly because my children are my life. They're, they're my world. I have different types of relationships with all of them. The, the eldest two kind of do their own thing at the moment. Um, but, you know, I've got three other younger baby girls. And, you know, when, when I think about it from what it really you know, stands up for. I totally understand the the, the situation now. So, wow. yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. But um, you go into, I guess, sort of football sort of came into my life, and I focused on that. And sometimes um, you find yourself the things that you see as a child will, will kind of you might get certain behaviour patterns from that. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, like I say, also I know it being in the football industry, uh, which is very fast, you know, very um, a lot of uh, exciting things that happen within football, self-adulation, all these things that happen and come with it. You have to grow up really fast, you know. I had my son at eighteen years old, so you know everything's happening really fast in my life. I guess you don't get a chance to look back on your childhood and really assess it for what it was. Not really. Yeah, not not really. Um, what's, what's there? That's gone. That's gone now. Like, I don't really, I don't really sort of go into it as such. You know, I have nothing to really speak about in that respect and I don't blame my parents. There's no blaming in this. It's just, that's where it was. And now I understand it more from a psychological point of view to where to where things may have kind of gone wrong for me. Did you find yourself in the position you found yourself in because of your parents? Like, who was the woman? Did you know? Was she a family member? No, no, no. Just, like I say, just random, right. random logic. Yeah. Again, you just go through certain process of, of, of what it, of what it is, what it was. <clears throat> like I say, no one's fault, but again, things happen and, you know, until you, you, you understand why and what, it's hard to sort of move forward. So, you know, as time, as things go on, you, you know, I, I kind of fell into my own... As a kid, I was quite sensitive anyway. I was a very sensitive kid um, and just, like, took everything to heart and but also very passionate about everything I, I do and, and I feel that represented me the best, like, wear my heart on my sleeve kind of thing. But I started when I was younger, when I look back now, because I understand depression now, when I actually look back at my younger days, I had traits of depression and certain mood swings and yeah. very, uh, very delicate, very strong personality, but also very delicate at the same time from a sensitivity point of view. For, for a man, I was very in touch with, you know, I would cry and I would get affected by certain things and... Like I say, I think a massive percentage of the world's parents would have, 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 have split up. But it's never easy. And although I came from a broken home, it's funny how my my actual life, as much as I would have loved to have been with the first woman I married and had kids with her and been everything that I wanted to present, life doesn't sometimes work that way. And um, I kind of went down the same sort of route and 
I have a lot of uh, attention moving football and <sighs> made some bad choices. Some were my choices, some were not. It's just understanding how life can go sometimes and this is circumstances that happen in life. Yeah. You know, we'll come back to what happened later down the line, but I'm going to ask you a question at this point, which is, do you think everything that happened to you, as I say, we'll cover it later, would have happened to you if your childhood wasn't what it was? Um, I think it would have been different. I think it would have been different. It would have shaped me differently. I think um, a massive element to childhood and your upbringing and you know maybe certain things you do see at a young age that you shouldn't see um can maybe play pretty um crucial in 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 years to come sort of thing because that i've said this on this podcast before but parents splitting up as a child was always one of my fears and it really haunted me for years and years as a child, the idea of my parents splitting up. Because for a child, that is such a traumatic thing that you have no yeah. control over. And my parents are still together. I'm fortunate in that that way. But it, Fantastic. O- yeah, only a few years ago did I sort of realise that if they split up, that wouldn't be the end of the world. But I'm 26 now. And f- at least for all my childhood and my teens, the idea of them splitting up was terrifying. Mm, yeah, I mean... It is. It's a, it's a, it is a trauma. It is part of that. I think you know going through that, and you, no one wants their parents to split up. And I think some some kids just take it harder than others. Um, everyone's got their own journey. You know, I can only really speak on my own journey. Yeah. Um, and what's what's affected me and what hasn't, and and so forth. So, you know, my journey is what it, what it is, and what I've tried to do is is, is try and be the best I can be them forward like i say with plenty of mistakes along the way well I say mistakes just plenty of bad choices yeah. along the way things happen life happens right <laughs> yeah when it's my life it seems to be that way yeah <laughs> and you have a self-admitted you weren't the best at school education wasn't your thing no um i was hard working i was i just wasn't school just wasn't for me i think if you go back to my high school um i went to a school in course called woodcote high and um if i take myself back there I was actually very, very popular, believe it or not. <laughs> I listen, I can believe that. I was very, very popular. You know, had a lot of friends and a lot of girlfriends, obviously, and, <laughs> which is another story. And listen, I can believe that. Yeah. But so, <laughs> so you know, good, good, and good, good and bad with it. But yeah, I, I kind of, um, I was never really, again, fantastic at sport. You'd see me in all the teams. You'd see me doing all that. That those types of activities and anything kind of hands-on but just to sit in a classroom and 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 learn about whatever it was they was teaching at the time yeah just didn't make any sense to me in my head i couldn't get around the logic of okay so what how is is this going to help me in a job is algebra i can can you just explain to me like i couldn't why how am i how's this going to help me go into a job sort of thing you know i left school with with pretty much nothing in from an academic point of view I look back now and I definitely think, you know, to anyone, any advice I was given, if I was given now, would be to definitely do the best you can and get as much qualification as you can. What annoys me is that there's so many people with so many degrees and all these master degrees and everything, and they still can't even get the jobs they want. Yeah, I know. So how does that even work? I know. So you could, uh, you could be so fully qualified, academically just so gifted, yet not even in the jobs that they want to be in. So for me, it's like, really? Yeah, you're in a marketplace right now where you go to a job and they're like, okay, cool, what's your experience? You're like, well, how am I supposed to have experience if I can't get a job? It's a vicious cycle, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So, yeah, I was always, I was always pretty uh, decent at school, but just um, I just just done what I needed to do for me, really. Yeah. There's always, there was always a few teachers that yeah. said, like, you're not, you're not going to make it and you're not going to do it, blah, blah. So but it was so lovely to, to go back to a few of my schools and do, like, an assembly thing. And, man, I'm so, I'm so sorry to hear that about your childhood and hear what you went through, because I never knew that until today. Okay, no, don't don't be. I mean, oh. there's, no, there's nothing to be sorry about. There's, there's, I'm an open person, so everything I do around speaking about mental health, everything I do to give back, everything I do to try and inspire, you know, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't make sense for me to not give you my all. There's no point doing this 
if I'm not giving my all and whoever's listening, you know, it might ring true to someone. It might ring true to say, you know what? Okay. These things can happen in life, but you know what? You can still fight back. You can still do the best you can do for your own life. So to change tact ever so slightly in school, is it true you wrote letters to football clubs asking if you could play for them? That's correct. So I wrote, I I wrote to every league club. Just before I was about to leave school, actually, I wrote to every league club just asking for a trial. Every single one wrote back. Well, not some they actually didn't write back, but most of them wrote back and just declined. Just didn't give me that opportunity. Um, but the funny university kind of story around that is, is that a few years younger than me, there was a kid who was the son of the youth team manager of Crystal Palace. Now, what I didn't know is, is that Crystal Palace actually had been watching me for an, for quite a while. He's only to had a conversation with his son, Mark, at the time. And he's like, oh, you know, my dad and that, you know, Palace are watching you. And I was like, what? Wow. Um, hello? Is there, can I, can I, please, can I get a number? I'm trying to get a trial, please, can I? And I, I obviously got his home number. And I remember, such a nervous call for me it was. I remember just after, I think it was one Saturday, a weekend, um, I was just about just might have just finished school actually um, and it was just yeah it was just just one Saturday and I, I made that call I was so nervous but I put my all into that call such desperation in it and I just said please please can I have a trial yeah um, and he's like yeah I, I know I know I know what you're about I've been watching you Da-da-da-da. come down we'll have a look at you so I went down six months I was on trial for Jesus Longest trial ever, by the way. <laughs> wow, six months. But they 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 they'd probably done that on purpose um, to see my character, to see if I was a little bit different towards the, you know who was there, and and to see if I would improve. But I that's exactly what I did. It was like it wasn't like I, I had just this vision of of getting this contract. It was at YTS at the at that time, yeah. so youth development scheme. But my every day, I can't. You know, I worked harder than probably most, probably everyone. And there were the kids that that were there at the, at particular time when I first joined Crystal Palace. The strikers at the club were so far ahead of me from a professional element and level. They were so far ahead. But I remember Steve Coppel, who was a manager at the time, first team manager, and he, you know, he used to pull me aside and say, "Right, you know, I used to do these things with Ian Wright and." Right, he used to practice and and do these things, and he made me, you know, kick the ball against the wall, work on my touch, work on this, work on finishing, work out to strike a ball, work on your movement. I'd done that tirelessly, tirelessly, and probably the best part of a year later, I became one of the best strikers in England. Wow, just through hard work, literally. Do you remember when your big break came when you moved from being a under twenty ones player to actually? rolling out with the full team. Yeah, I mean, I was 17 years old when I made my professional debut, but I was playing in a youth team game one Saturday um, and I scored a hat-trick in the first half. And I remember Ron Nodes, uh, bless his soul, he's not here anymore, who was the chairman of the football club of Crystal Palace at the time. And they both both brought me off, Steve Coppel and um, Ron Nodes, they both, they both brought me off and I was like, why? Have, I don't understand, why have I come off? And they said, oh, listen, Dougie Friedman, who we've uh, just signed, he's cup-tied for next Tuesday's cup game against Southend. I said, oh, right, okay. But here's the thing, Leon. You're going to play. Wow. I I literally, (laughs) when I mean, when I mean I was just like, I cannot believe what is happening right now. I was screaming, like, is this a joke? All your Christmases have come at once. Yeah, I just, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and I'm, I built up and then I, I, I played. And, and, you know, the beautiful story to that is is that I was so sort of calm, but I'd visualised this moment for so many years. There'd been times where I'd been gone, I've, I've watched right, he's one of my football heroes. You know, he became a bit of a mentor throughout my career of football. So I went to, I was watching Wrighty and Mark, Right and all these players before I was even kicking a ball for Crystal Palace. So to watch them a few years before actually making my 
professional debut, stepping onto Sellers Park. Yeah. And then to actually top it off, I actually scored on my debut. Amazing. And then uh, obviously, yeah, that's where I became. I signed a professional contract the next day for two years. Oh, were you happy at that point? For career point of view, it was probably one of the most happiest moments of my career because I knew how hard I'd had to work to get to that level and stage. And yeah, just becoming a professional in a in a very respected, well-known sport, but also finding my own way without maybe my dad and, and my uncle's name it was like I've I've gone into a completely different sport, which wasn't boxing at the time. So I found my own way, and I was proud about that. Was that important to you to do something without them hanging over you? As in, oh, um, it's Leon. There's a, uh, obviously he's boxing. Obviously he's getting in the ring because of yo. You know who his dad is? Was it nice not to have that? This is the interesting thing about it because I never kind of looked at my dad and uncle as a and made it an excuse in my life to say, well, I can't go and be something because they've achieved world titles and British titles and European titles and fought in the Olympics against Sugar Ray Leonard. And I can't, I can't compete with that. I, d- I never told myself that. Yeah. As opposed to my eldest two children, they find it really hard. So they, especially my son, he's found it really hard to find himself as a man. So he's found it really hard to have me as a dad. Yeah. I get that. With everything I've achieved which hurts my feelings so bad. But again, I've got to try and understand him. And, you know, unfortunately, he's not, he didn't have the same mindset as me as I did towards how I looked at it. But that doesn't take anything away from my son of how he truly feels. So there's there's that I've had to understand and learn. But no, it was never, it was never a problem for me because of my family, no. I remember when we sat in the stairwell of our building, I remember you told me about a little bit about this, about when you signed to a proper football club and started in, in serious money. Mm. You were telling me stories when the money started rolling in, you knew how to spend it, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> i never been educated. Yeah, I know, it's, I mean, it's funny now, but it, it, you know, it's, it's a very serious position in, in your life. When yes. If you're not educated around money, oh man, it can really grab you and bite you if you're not prepared because then when you've got it you have no idea what to do well it's education isn't it it's education if you're not educated in 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 how to handle money and and you know my dad wasn't very educated in that field and i just wasn't educated around handing money so for me as a kid so beyond the money i was earning and i was just you know what i had a fantastic time i spent how i spent and, and and that's how it was you know what i mean um Unfortunately, was with the wrong woman. At the time, I was probably at the peak of my earnings, unfortunately. But again, you know, it's, it's, it's part of life and I had to go through certain circumstances and understand that. But I think a lot of it's just down to education. I wasn't educated around money. It's not because I didn't want to save or, excuse me, want to keep money. Um, I'd done some good investments and done some bad investments. When you look back on that period in a positive way, what was the one moment when you spent the money and you were like, this is amazing. I'm a boy. Yeah, when I, good. Well, when I bought my house, when I bought my first property, which is probably the one I've ended up back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. I mean, I've had a few houses. Yeah. I've, it, what was, um, you know, I bought this back in 2009. Um, but that, you know, that wasn't my first, but my first house that I bought was, was, was uh, a very happy moment for me because it wasn't just, a kind of normal little house you know i'd bought a a solid house you know yeah. like and it was very proud i was just it was a very proud moment um but again no one prepares you for divorce no one prepares you for you know what can happen in in in, in where your life's supposed to really go the journey you know we, we can't read it can we so um we might be able to try and orchestrate it the best we can but whatever cards dealt with us you know dealt to us is sometimes the cards you have to face so yeah and that divorce i remember you telling me took a lot of money yeah obviously playing premiership football and so forth you know unfortunately like i say money you'd be surprised what money can do to people money can turn people the wrong direction and money can make people maybe understand and and be more you know, show gratitude around it or, or whatever but money money can turn people funny and especially when you haven't really had much of it and unfortunately 
you know, been a couple of occasions in my life, even with certain friends and influence I've had in my life, where when I've had a lot of money, you know, there's those people right in, you know, they're very there to be seen. But unfortunately, you know, when you when when that sort of leaves you, you know, many 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 leave you as well. So again, a different part of understanding, yeah, and education. Before we move on from football and talk about the rest of your life. What's your happiest moment on the pitch? What's been the thing that you're going to tell your grandkids? I've got a few. I've got a few happy moments. Obviously, yeah, I mean, the debut, my Crystal Palace debut was iconic. From yeah. a, you know, I'm a 17-year-old kid. Um, and that story is always special because of everything that I had to achieve beforehand. But I would say the one, the real, the real, the real kind of hero goal for me or goals uh, were my two goals against Ipswich for Norwich City, which was a derby, a massive derby, which I didn't realise how big it was. Amazing. Um, I actually scored two goals on my debut for them, and that was just like, wow. But playing in the Premier League and scoring against you know, some of the best teams in Europe, um, some of the best defenders you know, I played against in, in the likes of Ledley King, Rio Ferdinand, you know, John Terry, these people that were, were marking me. And for me, that was uh, a pinnacle of, of where I really got to. Um, to score a winning goal against Manchester United, to to score against your Chelsea's, your Man City's. Yeah, for me, it was, it was a big deal. Those those moments and, and memories no one can ever take away from me. Um, and and, and it's, it's in the history books. So, um yeah, I'm very proud of that. But after a while, injuries started creeping into your life and that sort of affected things, right? Yeah, injuries was a massive, massive uh, flaw in my career, football career, really. Stop, start, stop, start. It was continuous. Um, I had a massive uh, injury in when I was a sort of 21 at Crystal Palace and uh, someone sort of tackled me really badly and snapped my cartilage in half and I was out for the rest of the season. But... Ever since I had that injury, I just fell into a whole world of problems with my body because the biomechanics were all imbalanced now. So this part was weakening, that part was weakening because of the, such the long layoffs. You're having to try and strengthen your knee, but also you've got to try and strengthen everything else and things just don't catch up properly. So, you know, you get back and you end up pulling your hamstring. You get back, you end up pulling your calf. You get back, you end up pulling your thigh constant constant all the time yeah um and especially as you get older it's hard to get that consistency and i never really found that consistency i never really although i had 18 years in professional football and i played in all leagues and i've done i'm so proud of myself with really what i had achieved in football but i would say probably half of my career i was just trying to get fit so if i had that half where i was actually fit to my career of football I believe I'd still be in a premiership. At this point, though, the food has just arrived downstairs. Amazing. <laughs> let, me, let me go and have a little look at this. Leon, don't do what I did in that flat and lock yourself out. I've done that so many times. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. You head downstairs <laughs> and your vegan food awaits. Amazing. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, Leon, you got the food. 
I have the food, mate. It's much appreciated. <laughs> Lovely. Um, Do you know what? It's the first time I've had an actual vegan burger. It's actually all right. Yes! This is success. I can't believe it. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to be nice. So go on. Talk me. Th- is it like fake meat vibes? Well, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, well, so, yeah, I guess so. I don't know what, I don't know what kind of, it's just, it looks like chicken, to be honest. Great. So. This could be the start of your journey to becoming a full-time vegan. Yeah, well, I work on it, mate, like I do <laughs> most of it. I just um, love my food too much at the moment. So you've having, you've having a bite already, you've done it? I've had a little bite now, so you'd have to, yeah. Oh, yeah I, hopefully the listeners don't mind me having a little munch now and again. No. Um, you've spoken openly about mental health and I think it's really important for men to talk about it because we often bottle things up and don't speak openly but can we talk about December 2011 and the start of 2012 in your life December 2011 and the start of 2012 yes okay Um, well I was coming towards the back end so I would have just been coming out of football um, around that time I would have had a situation where I had to go to prison so um, did you miss that? <laughs> no I know about that I so my understanding of this timeline and this might be completely wrong is no, you've got the timeline of you're, you're thinking about my suicide attempt yeah so so the time where I totally fell really into serious depression would have been around sort of 2009 2010 okay um that's it so I, was, I would have been at charlton football club that's basically the season where i tried to check out a life you know um i was away from my family at the time staying in a hotel for a number of months of i was coming off the back of um coventry so i was just trying to uh really hold on to my career but still be still be at a good uh, level in football but my body just wasn't allowing me to do what I, I used to be able to do it was just it was driving me crazy man. I just couldn't I just wasn't me anymore but the whole process and like I say all my career I've had so many injuries you know um, and it, it became quite psychologically damaging so I guess if you can to, to maybe explain to anyone that maybe doesn't quite get it Imagine doing something you've loved for so many years and little by little, you can kind of see that coming to an end, but you're just not accepting it, but you're still going through pain and discomfort to just try and still be in it. Um, You could even put it in a form of a relationship, really. Mm. It's like, it's no good for you. It's actually destroying your mind, but you're still trying to hang on. That's where I was in football, unfortunately, towards the back end of my career. And um, I kind of gave up with everything. And like I say, I've had I've had um best part of nearly, I'd say, eight operations um, all, all, all on my body. And three, three of those are just on my knee. So it's, it's took its toll. And it got to a point of... One one afternoon, I was again. I got myself back playing. So so grateful to get back playing again. And one afternoon, I was in a training session with Charlton, and I tore my hamstring really badly. Um, excuse me. And I always tell this story because that walk from the training pitch to the actual treatment room was, you know, one of the longest walks of my life. Because in my head, I've I'd kind of been. I've kind of given up on life slowly, um, and what was as 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 things go on is to try and educate people. You know, sometimes people will say, "Well, how can you do this?" and "How can you try and kill yourself?" and you know, you got kids in it, and I'm so aware of everything. I totally understand the dynamics, but to try and put it in more in a simple phrase is that when you're in that position where you don't, I actually believe that. My life, you know, people's lives, including my beautiful children, they would be better off without me because although I am their dad and I am a husband at the time and I'm not presently there, like I am completely gone. So my my mind had totally broken down 
to the point of like for me to even be even thinking about them thoughts there's a serious problem yeah that's about to happen luckily i was fortunate to wake up in the hospital the next day and and you know something happened to me after doing that um you know seeing my family crying understanding what i could have left behind in in in, in my children understand understanding what it would have done to them of me you know maybe being successful with that because some some aren't you know i'm a sister wasn't i've had a sister you know called my sister because we grew up as babies uh, gone took her life 23 years old my uncle took his life do you see what i'm saying so some people don't make it um and and it's not a feel sorry for me story like no, I'm I sick of people. Yeah, I'm not. But but there's unfortunately there's ignorant people out there still who'd be like, oh, you know, well, okay, well, we've heard this before. No, you haven't, because suicide is is the it's the biggest killer in the UK, especially for men. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, no, no, you haven't, and and that's why it's so important for people like myself. Yeah, I have a bit of profile, and there's people that are more have more profile, profiles than me, and and there's people that don't, but. The point is, is that when you're in those positions, it's all about talking and trying to find the courage within to 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 maybe not go down that line. When you walked into your hotel room that night, you made a conscious decision, which felt logical at the time, that you would never felt, walk out of that hotel room it, again. It, it felt logical, Tom, because I just wasn't well. Yeah. I didn't. I, I I had enough of life. I was so unhappy. Rubbish husband, rubbish dad. Probably at the time, I just I just wasn't me. I, I didn't I didn't like me anymore. So, I guess it got to a point where yeah, I'd been planning it for a little while. I'm not going to say how I'm how I planned it and no, how I course. did it out of um you know, I don't want anyone sort of trying to copycat or or you're listening to this and like that's the right. It's not the right way to do it. It's not the right way to do it. But I totally understand when people are in that vulnerable, desperate position of not even to a point of it. Mine wasn't even really so much of a cry out for help. Mine was just not really knowing what's going on with my mind and what it is doing to me. And I'm, and I'm very fortunate to even be speaking to you today. You know, and I always say this, if I look back, if someone would have told me at the time I woke up in that hospital or, or furthermore, at the time I was about to end it all, that particular evening, and I'd probably cried half of the day before I actually attempted to do that on my own in this hotel room in Bexley Heath. I probably just cried most of the day. But if someone was to say to me, Leon, listen to me right now. If you hold on, this is what's going to happen in your life. You're going to come through this. You become a professional boxer and fight at elite levels and win titles and fight for championships. You're going to retire from boxing happier than you was when you were playing football. You're going to become a, a worldwide mental health advocate. You're going to have your own show on TalkSport and become a, a co-host around the same kind of topic and the same area, again, helping people. And you're going to have a, a massive documentary film that is going to change the game. I would have looked at them like, are you crazy? Yeah. So this is why it's so important for people to understand as much as it, you can feel so low and so desperate in that position of want, not wanting to be here anymore. This is why it's so important for that person that's going through it to say, you know what? Let me hold on. Let me fight it. This is where you do fight it. Because as much as life can be so down, also life can can change just like that. And I'm a true testament of that. Is there anything someone could have done on that day to help you? Is there anything someone could have said or reached out to you? Like I just want to know how I Well, you gotta understand I'm from I'm, I'm yeah, but I'm from a sporting background. So within the sporting industry it becomes a business. So the you know the the person that I heard was was my manager at the time. He said maybe it's best you do retire. Right. You know that was his words, but he had that's not his fault. He just had no education in in what he was maybe going to try and thought might have comforted me. Actually, sent me worse. It's all about 
educating yourself in in this area because any any one of us can have a breakdown any one of us we've all got triggers what affects me might not affect you but what affects you do you know what I mean? Yeah. Could affect could affect me or whatever. It it just we've all got these we've all got our own journey, but we've all got triggers and life circumstances can change anyone's thought process and change your life. And it's about being honest with your loved ones, being having an understanding in in being true to yourself, but you know not giving up on yourself. When you woke up in hospital the next day. What was that like? Were you relieved? Were you no, like, oh. this is this this is another thing. The re- I wasn't relieved because when I actually woke up, I you know one of the things that broke my mum's heart, and this is where people will say, "Well, you're selfish." This is a selfish act. Um, it's not so much that me being selfish; it's me actually just I I, I can't cope with yeah. what's going on in my mind. I am not well, right? For me to wake up in hospital and say to my mum, "Oh." Oh, it didn't work, then I'm still here. Like, she burst into tears and walked out. Do you see what I mean? So all these things, you know, affected so much of the journey. So much it affected my parents, it affected my kids. It's affected everything. My only thing I can do to this day, since I came out of that hospital back in whenever it was, since I came out many, many years ago, all I have done is try to inspire, try to speak, try to save as much people who were once in a position where I was, who are, who are in a position where I was, um, trying to get them that, that fight spirit, get them to hold on. If I told you the amount of messages and emails and thing, the people that message me to say, do you know what, just to say thank you, you've saved my life like DMing me that uh, sometimes I'm, I'm speechless. Sometimes I look at it like, Oh my God, like there is a purpose in this. I'm, uh, you know, this is, this is what, this is what, what my purpose is now. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I don't have no career. I'm career wise. My competing days are over careers. That's all done. That's finished. Now it's just about trying to be the best I can be, but also trying to find that peace within myself. I've had, I've carried a lot of guilt, uh, for so many years, a lot of pain, a lot of tears. And no, it's not about feeling sorry for myself. It's just about understanding your own journey and what you do moving forward. Yeah. And I think what's scary, and I've seen this quote from you, is that that wasn't even your darkest day. And that's what's so scary is after that point, things didn't get better instantly for you, did they? Which is terrifying. Well, yeah. Again, like I say, sometimes when you're going through emotional psychological problems and you're breaking down mentally you're not going to always make the right decisions um and i haven't made the right decisions with a lot of things and i've ended up you know going to prison shortly after all that a few years after that which is the worst thing that could have happened to me really after everything um as simple as you know giving someone my speeding points or someone else took my speeding points the, the the fact of the matter is is that I, I broke the law and and they when I say they made an example of me I'm not even going to put it down to them making an example of me I was playing I had a bit of a name and um, they took it upon themselves to to put me in an ACAT prison with murderers rapists and pedophiles I've never been in trouble in my life wow um, and I just felt like maybe there could have been an alternative solution to maybe actually put me in, into prison. But you know what? Take it on the chin. I, I, you know, I made some mistakes, take it on the chin, done my time. But inside I made it sure and apparent that I would try and be as productive as I can while I'm inside. Therefore, ended up writing my autobiography while I'm inside. So I've done a diary inside so much time so i was doing pretty much podcasts inside yeah interviewing interviewing officers interviewing cellmates interviewing so many you know right across the board um where i came out and little did i know again universe that i'd have a publishing company approach me within a week of me being out of prison 
So no, have you thought about have you thought about writing an autobiography, Leon? We'd love to publish one for you. Um, really? I've just pretty much I've wrote one. it. Yeah. So you take the rough with this move. You know, I've had to take some some knocks. What I will know, what I know is about my character, the, the amount of knocks that I have taken, many don't come back from the amount of things that I've been through. Many don't come back from so um, you know, my 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 message is is for those that you know, do find it hard at times or whatever. Don't can't really find the reasons around why they're finding it hard. But is to understand and find out what what uh, value you do have in your what what is the love in your life and what what gratitude can you show around actually how how lucky? Because listen, there's some there's people worse off than me. There's people worse off than you. Mm. There's people going through their own journeys that are that are terrible, and we see things all the time which are, are shocking. But, you know, one can only go based off of my own journey and experiences. And like I said, I've walked many paths. But my path now is just really about trying to be the best I can be. And I'm not far I'm far from perfect because everything I've expressed to you and, and spoken to you about is really an understanding of uh, mental health, trauma, and a part of addiction. So when you go through all these things, so how I dealt with my depression is I, I sort of, uh, women were my go-to. So depression used to feed off of that Yeah. more so. It's like, a, uh, you know, you've you got drug addicts and you've got alcoholics and, you know, their go-to is what they go to, right? So mine was, was, was uh, you know, uh, sort of women. And that wasn't necessarily down to always a sexual nature. That might be just down to some kind of comfort, mm. some kind of um confidence in in feeling love i don't know what it was but then then i have to look at the psychology around it and understand okay my childhood played a massive part in maybe my own insecurities and understanding me as a man it took me to get to the best age of best part of 42 years old to have a better understanding about myself find peace within myself and and understand that okay, this is where I'm at. I've actually become a man in my forties. Yeah, as you said at the start of the podcast, a lot of things come back to those formative years and maybe your life in the pub and what happened to your parents and there was seeds sown at that point that only were reaped years later, I guess. Of course, but it works both ways. I didn't use. I've never used things that have happened in my life as an excuse. So the bad things that have happened in my life, that doesn't mean I didn't go on to achieve. You can still go on to achieve and be the best you can in your own life, regardless of what's happened in your childhood or what's happened in your past. I know many inspiring people who have gone on to be phenomenal people, but that doesn't take away the trauma. It doesn't take away, you know what, I still, I have therapy. I have a therapist. I still have to see my therapist every so often just to get things off my chest, just to speak. You still got to do the work. You still got to try your best to be the best you can be. It doesn't just go overnight. When you're dealing with something like depression, it don't just vanish. You got to continuously work and know what's best. I think the only thing that I have, have, have um, appreciate now is, is that when I have a certain bad bout or when it comes or have a bad day, I just got a bit more of a, bit more armor to to sort of like put on my my armor and fight back sort of thing you know yeah. so i know how to deal with certain certain things but yeah for sure it works both ways and you found boxing i found boxing i, I turned professional at 35 years old imagine that wow imagine stepping into a professional boxing ring at 35 years old in bethnal yes, green as well jeez bethnal green you're cool but i wasn't like i say i got it got to a point is that because i went through you know went through my second divorce and I had to move out my matrimonial house and some real, uh, I mean, that was another lonely year in itself after everything as well. That's another lonely year, yeah. you know, coming out of prison, um, you know, and, and having to go through that process, horrible. And I had to, to, again, find the strength to sort of hold on. So although Tyson Fury says about, you know, you know what, boxing saved his life and and you know he's fighting back for mental health and that's fantastic it's a fantastic attitude to have but i did this way before you know what happens in the celebrity world is that as a celebrity um or anyone that's maybe has a bigger celebrity profile than yourself 
the moment they say something, people automatically listen yeah. to that, right? But if I go back over my life and I look at when I turned to be a professional boxer, I got into a professional boxing room because I was fighting back. I didn't want to be in a position where I once was once upon a time and I won't be able to give, I wasn't about to give up on my kids. So when I jumped into professional boxing ring at 35, it wasn't just to jump in to achieve in another career. It was to jump in to prove to myself that I had the capabilities of, of, of fighting back in my life. So I said it way before, just to put that out there. <laughs> and you did, you fought back. And I did it and I fought back and, oh, I, and I little did we know we won, I won our first, you know, an international master's title belt. And I went on to fight for English titles, Southern area titles. And, uh, you know, actually my last fight in 2017 got fight of the year, although I lost um, that fight. Um, what a heroic fight it was. And um, took a lot from it because I gave I gave my all, I gave everything, and I think Father Time just said it's time. Um, but I retired the next day from bo boxing in a happy place because I know that my body and everything, I, my heart, everything I have given in my life, it's it, it just it, it all left me. I couldn't compete anymore. And then, um, like I say, I'd been planning through where I was boxing, so I'd been planning, um, you know. I, doing my, all my speaking stuff now. Um, I, I, I do stuff for a company called Laps, which is Life After Professional Sport. I bought yeah. shares into that. Um, and that allows me to go into under-16s, under-18s, under-23s, all the Premier League, speak to the kids, prepare them for life after football, prepare them for the things to look out for. Um, obviously, now co-host at, at Talk Sport, uh, yeah. which has been fantastic as well. Leon, I feel like I could talk to you all night. But as a friend and as an ex-neighbour, um, yes, have you found happiness? How are you now in 2021? You know what? It's always... Um, I got asked this question many, many months ago, actually. And every time every time someone's asked me, are you happy? I will probably say no. Um, but now I've looked at it from a different outlook. So if I asked you, I said, Tom, are you happy? Do you, are you happy? Um... Am I happy? I, yeah, on a real. Oh, um, am I happy? I suppose mm. I am happy some days. Mm. I'm not happy other days. I'm mm. more happy in my job than I ever have been. And mm. I'm very much a person that likes to have goals. I'm like a dog chasing a car, right? If, I, yeah. if I'm chasing it, I'm distracted. But then God only knows what I'd do if I got the car. Does that make sense? Right. Makes total sense. So what I what I took from this is... Is someone said to me, um, or I asked them the same question I asked you, and do you know what he said to me? Um, his name was Trist, actually, Tristan. He said to me, I don't, when I say I'm happy, I'm not happy all the time. No. No. Um, it's moments. Yeah. Happiness Happiness for me is moments. And, and that's my answer. So I can be happy uh, momentarily, like, you know, from a moment point of view, I, I can I can be happy, but there are times where I'm not. So, yeah, very similar. So, yeah, that momentum of understanding that you know what it's all about moments. So sometimes I'm I'm happy and sometimes not, and it's understanding and trying to get that balance, but not to beat myself up on the days that I'm not. Mm. But ultimately, I, I can be happier for sure, but. I've got to be grateful for what I do have still. Yeah. And that and could have been, the, uh, there was yeah. a point in your life that could have been nothing. I mean, to even really go back and say, yeah, it could have been this, it could have been that. Well, you know, it was that. It didn't beat me. Yeah. We still rise. Um, Liam McKenzie, thank you so much for joining me on the Dangerous Dinners podcast. It now feels ludicrous and mm. completely out of context to ask you how was your vegan burger after we spoke like it's cold have. though that's all i know <laughs> so i'm probably going to warm it up and yeah. have a big mouthful because when you speak about certain parts and topics of of this magnitude it, it is quite draining so um yeah. um but like i say i'm i'm not sure what what you've done on, from a podcast point of view with others but you know apologies for it being so deep 
um, no, this I is... can't be no one. I can't be any other way. But when you ask certain questions, I have to be true to myself, but true to everyone listening to give them a better understanding on 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 the whys and and what can you know? Well, how did I get through this? And you know, what what is it? Do you know what I mean? That because some people still don't understand the whole mental health aspect of things. Um, so again, if anyone was a little bit, oh, it's a bit deep. I apologise for that, but it, there's someone out there that really needs to to hear it. I think the opposite. I think no one thought that anyone who's listening to this right now only thought that it was insightful and that you have an amazing story to tell, and that we're glad you're all still with us. You can all read all about your life. There's, you've got a book out which I've read, and you're writing another <laughs> one. Yeah, I'm just in the process of, of starting um, number two, part two, because. As you know, from when I wrote my book, which is really, was released in 2012, there's a lot that's happened since 2012, yeah. which I need to be, you know, totally honest about, and and um, and again put it out there with with uh, with power, but with with the right message, and and that's it really. But if anyone wants to follow me, I'm on Leon MCK Insta, yeah, uh, Twitter at Leon McKenzie One. Yeah, man, just just luck in. I've got a big film coming soon this year, so um, I'm looking forward to you guys seeing that. Keep on chasing the car. Always. Thanks, Leon. Take it easy, man. God bless. This is, is the Dangerous Dinners Podcast. Ah, very good. Very, very good. Um, thank you so much, Leon McKenzie, for giving up your time and joining the Dangerous Dinners Podcast different one that wasn't it um it was a mental health awareness week special uh leon is a big supporter of the the charity calm which you ever if you ever need to reach out to is online it's on instagram it's on twitter i think they've just got the website is uh let me have a look the calmzone.net that's the place to go the campaign against living miserably he's a big supporter of those guys i feel like today's episode was really important it's important to have these conversations sometimes hard to listen to um but i think we should probably probably should shouldn't we anyway uh, we'll be back for another episode episode 14 next week uh, if you've liked today's episode if you've uh, if you feel like you've learned something please share it please pass it around give us a rating give us a review and we will see you same time next time bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.